Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat all from the comfort of your home. Visit betterhelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Welcome to The Suitcase and The Scribe with award-winning journalist Scott Burnside and former NHL goaltender Mike McKenna, a member of the Nation Network of Podcasts and delivered by DoorDash. Hey everybody, Scott Burnside back for another edition of The Suitcase and The Scribe. Merry Christmas, my friend, Mike McKenna in St. Louis. I, I want to start this with, this isn't even a new gift <laughs> for people who can't. This was a leftover from last year, but sadly, this cocktail napkin still full value for its message, sadly. But let's, we get lots to talk about it. But how was, how was Christmas? How did, how'd the prime rib go? Tell, what was the McKenna Christmas like? Uh, you know what? We got some relief because my in-laws were here, which was nice. So the kids weren't uh, in our hair the whole time and um, got to sleep in a couple of days. Not Christmas morning, mind you. Uh, set the rule that 630 was when the kids were allowed to come in uh, and, and wake us up, which I don't know. Maybe I should have sucked it up and gotten up earlier. But that seems appropriate that the sun should at least be shining before we allow that to happen. Yeah, no, I think that's fair. Yeah. So, you know, it was it was, it was good. The kids were extremely excited. They only fought, I think once that day, which at, for five and eight year old daughters, that's pretty good. I'll take that. Um, you know, toys, presents were all, we're all great, but it's, it, to me, it's just the overall feeling. I mean, it's, it's nice to wake up and have family around and, yeah. um, and yeah, have a big dinner. You know, I did the prime rib and, uh, my mom chipped in and did her famous mashed potatoes and green beans and just super traditional stuff. So yeah. it was good in our household. How did it go for you, for you, Scott? It was all, it was all good. It was quiet. To, to just three of us here and uh, my son's home from his uh, first term at college. And uh, um, it was great. It, he's just taken up golf. So he got golf clubs was out and he actually played because it's been beautiful here in uh, Georgia. So we played Christmas day he's, afternoon. He's getting ready to become a businessman, isn't he? Yes, exactly. So it's, uh, it was good. And we had, we had lots of hockey stuff. One of the great, one of the fascinating gifts um, is my wife found a collection of books that goes back to the beehive corn syrup, hockey cards and all, they weren't even hockey cards we have a whole bunch of them that came from her dad when he was growing up so back in the you know well he was in the, probably more than a child but anyway 40s 50s 60s and pictures uh of the you know rocket richard and gordy howe and sid abel and we have a collection of those but she found a book that sort of chronicles how those things happen and i remember my dad growing up in eastern ontario he he had the same collection of beehive corn syrup 
hockey memorabilia and this book talks about how they got the players and the pictures and all that kind of stuff. It's a real, I don't know. It's, it's kind of, it's kind of cool. My son's I, not a huge book guy, right? He's <laughs> right. But I, I like how, you know, a lot of times it feels like a Christmas, especially as we get older or any holiday, it, we kind of reflect on things sometimes, and, and we almost look back and, and learn our own history, whether it's from the family or human perspective. Yep. One of my favorite gifts that I received was a book on lost race courses in the United States, you know, yeah. and um, my, my wife had realized, Hey, you know, I really enjoyed watching Dale Jr. Dale Earnhardt Jr. Had a show on about lost racetracks. Well, you know, growing up in a racing family, I've always just been enamored with these bygone eras. And, and some of these tracks are still just, you know, sitting there with the ghosts of the track still roaming, you know, and like they're, they have this weird vibe to them if you ever visit one. And like, I just, you know, a book like that, I feel like you, you learn so much and, and you kind of yearn for the past, but it does give you perspective on, on where we are in life now and just how, and really how different, they, how, honestly, Scott, like how complicated life is now and how fast it moves, you know, yeah. like, man, things were so much simpler, even 20, 25 years ago, you know, like technology is, tell you what, man, technology's changed everything because these phones, these, every, yeah. we're constantly like, Scott, how many, how many emails and texts do you think you get a day? Uh, yeah, no, it's, it's a lot. You know what it, and it's, it's the, not how the volume, but the, being tethered to it, right? Like it's right. the, you know, like, you know, like you, you have to, I mean, you really do have to discipline yourself to step away from it. And I go for a walk every morning. I jump a little rope. I know it doesn't look like it, but I do. <laughs> I never take my phone. I never take my phone when I go for a walk unless there is a potential for an emergency call or, mm-hmm. you know, something like that. But I never take my phone with me, but man, it's, it's hard. I, I'm curious. So I want you, uh, like, I know you're a big racing guy. Have you been to some of these abandoned tracks? Like, have you been, have you been able to go or walk around or really, cause that to me, like that would be the coolest thing. Yeah. There's one outside of St. Louis that maybe a third of the track is left. It used to be mid America raceway. Uh, it was out in Wentzville, Missouri, which at the time was 45 minutes outside of St. Louis. And as you can imagine now it has become a the fastest growing suburb of St. Louis. So, you know, it used to be a hike to get out there. And that's where my dad did all his amateur racing. And they used to host some pretty big races. I mean, you name it from Mario Andretti to AJ Foyt to Paul Newman, they all raced there at some point, but like a a third of that track still exists. The rest of it's been lost to a housing development, but you can still envision it. Like it still kind of has the outline that you can, that you can stand there. And to me, it kind of, I don't know, man, I kind of get like emotional thinking about like all the time and all the good memories of my parents that I didn't really get to enjoy. And that whole track stood until maybe 15 years ago. And I really regretted not going out there when it was still, uh, you could still walk it, you know? And like, I, I made a pilgrimage when I was playing in Lehigh Valley in Allentown a few years ago, there's a, um, an old oval track in Nazareth, Pennsylvania, which is the home of the Andretti family that still stands the track is still there, but it's completely overgrown. And, you know, this was still hosting major races up until I think 2002. And wow. it is, Scott, it's amazing how fast nature reclaims things. You know, you, you pull up, you can tell there's a track there, but it looks utterly dilapidated. Yeah, and it's, I don't know. I wish it would open it up and make it a park or just make it accessible. Big chain link fences suck, man. Like you can't, you can't you get that. Feel. There. Yeah. Like I don't need to go out and rip a couple laps in a, Camry. I just, I'd like to just go 
you know, walk, walk the place, you know? So yeah, man, it's, I know we're going way off tangent and it's a trip down memory lane here, but that's, that's our lives. You know what? It's a good segue because, and I don't know what your memories, there are a couple of things we want, you know, we got a lot to touch on again, a lot happening, but you know, we're in the middle of the world junior championships. um, And I keep, I see now the pictures coming in uh, out of uh, Minneapolis as they prepare for the winter classic first time in a couple of years, the NHL has been able to do the winter classic. And um, so the two different kinds of things, I don't really have any nostalgia really about the world juniors. I, I mean, I'm Canadian. I grew mm-hmm. up, I watched, but I don't really, I only, I covered one. I covered one world uh, junior championship it was in North Dakota, the year of the lockout, Shea Weber, Sidney Crosby, Patrice Bergeron had already played a season in the NHL. Uh, but then because of the lockout had gone back to the American Hockey League and uh, and was able to play in World Juniors because he was still of age. And I believe the great story, and, and I think it's probably why Bergeron and Sidney Crosby are so close. Mm-hmm. I mean, they have a shared history with concussions. But Patrice Bergeron's job was at that tournament was to sort of, you know, take Crosby under his wing. I mean, Crosby, I think, was 17. Is that right, dude? born in 88 anyway whatever old he was he was just a kid and he it was not his tournament per se uh ovechkin was there malkin was there phil castle it was i I mean it was a ton of there's a lot of star power there a lot of star power because of the lockout and i mean it was fun to cover um but i don't have that like i'm you know like I, I, I watch it with my son who's able to somehow manipulate it so we can get it on our tv mm-hmm. here did you grow up like do you have a world junior you know like it's i think it's different in the states but maybe yeah. it's changing i don't know what do you think no i don't have any at all and that's really in stark juxtaposition to what people in canada grow up with a lot at least in the hockey world you know and world juniors and representing your country and playing on the big stage and i, I think uh, me projecting what's happened in Canada, at least like you, you have all these national moments, right? You have Paul Henderson scoring in what? 70, was that 72? 72. Good job. Okay. Yep. So like, that's a huge moment. Can- that. Yeah. But that's a huge moment in Canadian hockey history that yeah. it, it just, there's a draw there and the games are all on TV. I mean, all these world junior games are on TSN in Canada. Yeah. And if you want to watch the world juniors in the United States, you have to have the top tier package or you have to illegally rip it in a stream. <laughs> that's what we're watch it. And like, and I tell you what, Scott, like, I think that that's a huge problem. Like that's, and it's so short-sighted for me that NHL network is so difficult to access in the United it is, States. Yeah. It should be everywhere. Like in St. Louis here, man, you have to, you have to have cable first. Yeah. You know, it's not on the big streaming platforms. There's no, you can't just have NHL network. You can't just pay five bucks a month. I would do that in a heartbeat of stream it like that. Yes. And I think a lot of diehard hockey fans would, and you have to be like the top tier cable package to watch it. Yeah. So you'd spend like 250 bucks a year or a month on cable just to have network yes, and be able to watch juniors. So like I, I grew up not even, I knew what world juniors was. Yeah. And I thought, man, that'd be cool to play in, but I didn't even know it really. And even as I was playing, I didn't get that gravitational pull to it. I was happy when the US team won, but I was also focused on what I was doing. Yeah. You know, like I was a player, I was focused on college hockey. I was focused on the ECHL at the time and then the AHL at the time and, you know, in the NHL when I had that chance. And yeah. um, as much of a fan of hockey as I is, I just, 
I didn't have that. And I hope that that's growing in the U.S. I feel it's there in the diehard hockey community. It's there now. Yeah. But it's not the general public like it is Canada. Yeah. You know, I, I talked to Canadian friends, man, that are just, you know, I, I use this term very, very loosely, like everyday folks. OK, like, I mean, but they yeah, know no, what it is not. and they cheer. Right. Yeah. They're not. <laughs> yeah. making myself sound like I'm something important here, but, no, um, but I know what you mean. It's not, it's not just for the hockey elite. It's, right. it's, it's a traditional thing. Well, look, and, and I, look how, look how important this is for world juniors. And we're talking about men's world juniors, but like, how about the double IHF can and the women's like, yeah, it's what an absolute farce that is. <laughs> like it's not, it has not been a great, it hasn't been a great look. And it's interesting. I'll mention this. I have a column coming up at the end of the week, the end of the beginning of the new month as I do every week, but every month rather. And early in the season, I talked to the new head of the double IHF, Luke Tardif, who took over for Rennie Fassell, who'd been in the position for 27 years and stepped down and really was an institution in international hockey and at all levels. And, you know, whether it was, NHL players playing in the Olympics and, and really, and the growth of women's hockey and mm-hmm. all those things, the world juniors. Um, and and I, I enjoyed my chat with Luke Tardif, who was a, born in Canada, moved to Europe. Um, and, it, but it has, it's been, this is two years in a row, uh, a number of women's tournaments, including the U18 women's world championships have been canceled, not postponed, but canceled. Yeah. And, and and when you can have when you have the world juniors and you got to navigate i mean team usa forfeited a game cuz they had two positive tests i mean it's an it's a it's everywhere it's a nightmare yeah. to try and make these things work i get it you know the, the bubble last year for world juniors but they pulled it off but the fact that those the world juniors and the men's world championships are basically the money drivers. And that's really the explanation that double IHF gives for not really trying to find a way to, to host this U18 women's tournament it, it is disappointing. And it's mm-hmm. and to me, you know, the press, he put out a press release last night and he is getting killed for it as he should. It's tone deaf. Um, and I give USA hockey credit because uh, in fact, I asked the question on a conference call uh, the other day talking about the Olympics, Pat Keller said they've reached out to double IHF about, is there a way let's not, can't let's not throw this away. Let's find a way. Can we make it work? Just right. Any USA, solution here. Come on, know, work together. Hockey Canada has done the same. There, um, the women's pro league in Ontario. It, it, there's, there are people who are stepping forward and I see, and I think he was talking to, uh, uh, Darren Dreger and Ray Ferraro on their podcast, but he's like, Tardif's basically, well, if they got a plan, bring it to me. I, I don't think that's how it's supposed to work. Aren't you oh, supposed to work together? So. I had an agent tell me that once. If a team wants you, they'll come to us. Yeah. I fired that agent after my yeah, first year pro. Exactly. I, don't I was making works. 400, I was making 450 bucks a week at the coast. And I had an agent tell me that. <laughs> Say, hey, Mike, if, yeah, you had a great year. I think, you know, but if teams, teams want you, they'll come to us. Like, and I, I remember sitting down with Ty Conklin at the time and, uh, I was training with Ty Conklin and Ty goes, you need to fire that effing guy right now. <laughs> like, point, like clear as day point blank. And it just opened my eyes, but like, isn't that, a, how can we not work together to find a solution there? Like yeah. it, I'm, it's disappointing. Well, it's and, you, got, and you know, I mean, we're lucky, right? We had men on Riom on a, a yes. few weeks ago and talking about the growth of women's hockey. And uh, you know, I mean, it's, it's, a, it's, 
it just seems like such a lost opportunity. And it, again, it seems like you, you, you give, you pay lip service to supporting women's hockey and wanting women's hockey to grow, but you're not really willing to do the work to make it happen. And I think you are the double HF. I think That's it's it. your job to do that and put hey. your money where your mouth is. Yeah. I got so, two little girls that would love to watch team USA play. And it would drive the game. They're so excited when they get to watch women's college hockey. And yeah. thankfully from ESPN plus, I can do that. Now they can watch what St. Lawrence women's hockey. They dream, they aspire. Yeah. Young girls need that. And people want to see it, man. Like even the, the, the women's, uh, the, the, my Y tour that came through yes. St. Louis a couple of yes. weeks ago that, you know, they filled 3000 people in a building the night that the blues played same night. Like that's, that's, that's tangible. Stuff. You know, yeah. so on the bigger scale of things, we did have a return to hockey last night, Scott. My God, like return felt, to the NHL. <laughs> I, I felt so excited to watch. I I was like, and what I made my notes here this morning, three games last night, 33 goals counting. I, I count a shootout as one goal. So okay. really 32 real goals scored in three games. Um, a couple of Titanic, like that eight, seven Arizona San Jose game looked a little bit like a preseason game, maybe, but how about that Habs Tampa game just for so many reasons. I felt so bad for Sam Montembeau and the Habs. They're playing with basically no NHL players because right. of COVID and get down to, I'm looking here at my notes again, 19.7 seconds left. And uh, Corey Perry ties the game and they lose in overtime, but what a, what a great tale. And what's it? I just felt, I don't know. It's so hard. It's like, I, like my cocktail napkin says, we're in, we're in that we're in it right now, <laughs> but to, to watch a game and to be reminded, okay, maybe we can get there. It was, what was it like for you to watch that? It was wild. Like I, I just, I, I admittedly, I, I missed most of the first period and I tuned, tuned in by the time it was three to two. And I was already looking at the scoreboard going, wait, this should be like in the third period at three to two. Yeah. And I'm like, man, we still got two thirds of a game to play here. And I, I, the first thing I see is Montembeau make two breakaway saves on Kalorn, who, by the way, a shorthanded, I think, and Kalorn did the same move twice. Like, you talk about not having your brain turned on yet from, <laughs> from a holiday break. He comes in and does the same move and gets stopped two times in a row. Um, I make the uh, same mistake over and over, so I, you know, <laughs> I get it. <laughs> by the way, Kalorn was phenomenal in the game. He though. had a good okay? Like, I'm, I'm giving him a hard time for turning his brain off in the breakaway, but man, like, he was awesome. And <laughs> I'm watching this, and I'm going, man, Montembeau is just battling to keep his team in this game. Eight saves on the penalty kill. I mean, Stamkos is just absolutely tickling the scoreboard with the backswing and Montembeau's making save after save. And I've been in that position before where you just, you know, you're holding your team in it and you're doing everything you can. And Tampa just kept coming. Yeah. And, and Montreal, like, absolutely played their heart outs. But you look at that, like you just can't compete when you don't have NHL skill level and NHL attention to detail. Like, yeah. man, Braden Point, it's his first game back, and he looked like a world beater. Yeah. Like, just skates wherever he wants, the puck's on his stick. And I, I don't know, man, that, that Tampa team's really good. But, you know, Montreal, they battled hard. And I appreciated that. But it was a real microcosm of what I saw in you know the other i watched the the vegas um yeah. the vegas game afterwards against la and it just and then i watched the highlights from san jose and, and arizona and i just went this is the most careless hockey i've ever seen <laughs> and, I, and i don't i don't I, and those first games back from a holiday break 
they're always a mess. And the goalies, like you actually don't ever want to play that game because it's a stat exploder. Like <laughs> you could like, you will just bomb your stats, but like, you know what's coming. But I think it's even more now because it's a long break. They had six days. A lot of teams had even more than that. And, and like you said, Scott, these rosters aren't there. Like, like th- this is basically Laval plus some of the regulars for Montreal. And yeah. I tell you what, man, that's a t- that's an uphill battle, and that's where you see the difference between NHL and American League players is the attention to detail. It's really not the skill level; like the skill levels are pretty close, but they just don't think the game the same way. And and you could just feel Tampa's gonna they're gonna they're gonna score, they, and they scored seventeen seconds left. Yeah, and then OT. And Ooh, I wonder what you thought of that. You sent me a note this morning. I was like, oh, that was, and, and it's. It's one of their NHL guys, Jake Evans. I mean, come on. I, I, I don't like to beat up on players. Yeah. But if you want an example of what will keep you out of an NHL lineup, yes. watch Jake Evans the moment he thinks he's been wronged and there should have been a penalty on the play when his feet got crossed up and Stamkos took the puck from him. Yeah. He just quit playing. And he's looking, he's looking to the ref for a like call. This. And his hands are up and he can't believe. And like, if he would have just gotten his ass up and skated hard back through the middle, he might've prevented that pass over to Palat and kept the goal from happening. And then after the goal goes in, he still goes to the ref complaining and straight up, man, like that will keep you out of a lineup. That's a terrible look. Yeah. And especially in a stage like this, where it's like, dude, you're playing overtime in the NHL against Tampa Bay lightning. Here is your chance. Yeah. You know? And so by all means, like a, a, player with a good reputation and everything else like but it's just a reminder man like you you can't you can't stop playing you can't look right. to the referees to save you you've got to make your own look Lock. i don't i don't even think it was a penalty he no. just i think he's caught his own feet right he just yeah. went down trying to break out and he felt yeah, a stick was- on him and it just you know sometimes in your head if you feel something like that and you fall you think, you think like it must have tripped me off <laughs> yeah <laughs> So <laughs> I, I, you know what I took away from that game and it, and you, you touch on it. You mentioned Braden point, like you, you know, Tampa is you know, sort of quietly, you know, they've, you know, Florida off to the huge mm-hmm. start and then, you know, Toronto's on a tear now, but listen, Tampa is, and, and then you're like, Oh yeah, Braden point, pretty good player. Yeah, he's not played for weeks. Oh, you by know, the way, they're still missing Kucherov. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, no, it's, it's Vasilevsky didn't even play. They had Maxim Lagasse in that. Oh, I know. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, do you, are you worried? Like, since you and I did the our last show, I mean, the things continue to evolve on an hourly basis. And NHL, NHLPA come up with um, you know, basically a modified taxi squad similar mm-hmm. to what we saw last year, but with some restrictions on who can be called up and the length of time, which I think is. I mean, I, I get all of this, and you know, in spite of Brad Marchand's spouting off I, I don't get that but why did he spout off before man well, dude, it's your association dude You're like you nhlpa you pay them <laughs> I, I can't it's stand your... this like you have the ultimate bully pulpit social media exists if you don't like what's going on roast them publicly see yeah. if you get some change man like yeah. i don't know dude like i've talked to a lot of players behind the scenes i just hijacked you real quick there i'm sorry but yeah, like i've talked to right. i talk to players all the time and i hear this that they're saying like we need somebody like we need somebody like like you like to me like because i guess i was mr union guy for a lot of years which i was yeah. in the phba but like i just don't think people stand up and say anything and then after the fact they're like i can't believe we're doing this it's like 
they want to do everything behind closed doors. Like we don't, yeah. we don't negotiate in public. Well, if you want the shit to get done in today's society, yeah. if something's wrong with your food order, if you, if you leave them a bad, like Yelp review, great. If you, if you roast them on Twitter, yeah. then you get a response because nobody wants to be made a fool publicly. So I'm sorry. That's yeah. no, I, I don't get it either. <laughs> and, uh, but I, I do like, I think it wasn't, I mean, listen, it's listen, we have spent some time here and I'm, I've been doing it for quite some time now. I mean, sometimes the NHL is easy to, they do, they do things that it's easy to question them and it's easy, easy to criticize them and they should be criticized for some of the things that they do, but like, Oh my gosh, I, you know, I, I will, I'm going to hijack my own commentary now. Heart oh. trophy for Steve. Atsy Petros, the NHL schedule maker and his oh, yeah. team. Oh my God. You know, the NHL's trying to, they're trying to, trying to juggle postponed games when they're going to get them in. And they're trying, uh, like, people are complaining or uh, like, when the NHL's now rescheduling games that were supposed to be played in Canada because now in, in some Canadian cities, Montreal, for instance, before the break, no fans, not allowing March. fans. So you have, I mean, the economics are, People that well, it's all about the money. Well, I think you yeah. said this on Twitter. Yeah, of course it is. It's a business, dude. Like, what do you expect? So, trying to get this together, but having the taxi squad, I think, is it was inevitable given mm-hmm. where we're at with the uh, with the outbreaks, and, and I think it makes sense. I am. I swear, if Pierre LeBron was here, he'd be like, "Is there a question?" And it's coming now. Do you worry though? It, you know about the quality. Do we just have to suck it up and say, you know what? It's not going to be perfect because this is far from a perfect world. And if we're going to have hockey, sometimes it's going to look like 8-7 shootout, Arizona, San Jose. There are going to be players you don't recognize because of COVID protocols. Mm -hmm. It's not going to be perfect, but you have to accept that. Or is there, you know, we're asking people to pay money to go and watch those games for the most part. They're not I assume not getting a break on the ticket prices. Are you worried about the quality of the product? That there's the question. I think in the public eye, it's real, but I think yeah. the public also clamors for more goals, more goals, more entertainment. Like how many times do we hear that? Well, you're getting it. Here you go. Yeah. If that's what you want, like if you want to watch the best players in the world, you're going to see three, two games. If you want to see careless lack of detail hockey from players that aren't quite ready for the NHL, you're going to get eight, seven games. Which yeah. do you prefer? Yeah. And I, I I have a tough time with the putting the best product on the ice. We have to think about that. Do we have our best players? But like, man, teams have a maximum of 50 players under contract for a reason. Yeah. And I think you play the game. If you have them, you play. And yep. the only thing that's going to be hard is for the alumni association to keep track of all these new players because we're <laughs> absolutely blowing the number through the roof right now. I used to think I was at a pretty special club as a goaltender. Like there's only – I don't know, last I look like, I think there's been 400 something people in the world that have ever had a shutout in the NHL. And I'm one of them. And I'm like, yeah. man, that's going to start like <laughs> filtering off. But I don't know, not the way I saw those teams play last night. Pal. Right. Those shutouts are going to be hard to come by. <laughs> yes. But, but I, yeah. I, I, I don't like the, the competitive aspect. Right. I, I think you play. And I think that that's something that we should, I, I do think fans will frown upon it, but like, do you want to see hockey or not? Cause yeah. Otherwise, we're going to be playing. We're, we'll never finish this year. Yeah. Um, I do, though, think that postponing games purely due to financial ramifications is smart. I mean, you just you can't keep hosting games without people in the building. Like this is on the, the players. They're going to get crushed with escrow if they don't have that. Like, I mean, there was a legit feeling amongst Montreal that they may be on a two month road trip. 
Yeah. Yeah. No, Legit. I, I, like it's, it's a real thing. And I, yeah, I don't, if you want to have it, if you want to have 82 games, you want to get back to where teams have money to spend and you can sign free agents. You mm-hmm. want to get out of the frozen cap era. You got to play the games and you got to have fans in the stands. So you can't, you cannot have it both ways. Can't be going back. You can't play. And who knows where we get to. I, I I'm, I'm, I'll ask you, I'm Pollyanna. That's, that's <laughs> me. I still think we get 82 games in. I know we talked about it last mm-hmm. week. I think we will. It's going to take some time, but we are going to get to a point where we're going to see really good hockey by the end of the year. And I think the playoffs may be a terrific, it just maybe the quality of playoffs mm-hmm. may be off the charts because players won't have played 82 games. So I think it's going to get there, but it's, it's going to be, it's going to be hard. Do you, do, are you optimistic? Do we get the 82 in? Yeah, I think it happens for sure. I, I yeah. do. And I think that we kind of have to look big picture on this. There's still a lot of hockey games being played. I know it feels like when you see all these postponements, it's like, man, nobody's playing. And oh, no, we had three games last night. There's going to be a whole, a whole bunch tonight as we speak on Wednesday. Uh, I think we do. And I, I've talked about this before where look at a team like Calgary that's had their whole team have COVID, whether they felt it or not, they've all had it. And they're not going to be tested now for 90 days because they've had it. Yep. Like they're scot-free. And I think that that's real. I mean, every team's going to get run over by this at some point if the testing doesn't change, which it's not going to change. It's because of the Canadian government. We can, we can belabor the point that we need to change testing, but it's not going to change because of Canada. Yep. Unless we move all those teams that are north of the border into the U.S. for the rest of the year, testing isn't going to change. Yeah, And that frustrates the players, frustrates everybody, but that's reality. I think, when you, I, I think that the interesting aspect of this for me is when I look at a team like Minnesota who hasn't had – hardly any cases, you know, they just popped one the other day going into the winter classic, but one player and they're going to get hit by COVID at some point. Yeah. Like, I don't know how they can't, that's just been every team, you know, what happens to them? Like, can they keep it going? Yeah. But to your point, I really do think that once these teams have more or less all gone through the COVID cycle, man, we get to like late February, March, all systems go, dude. Like this yeah. is, should be good hockey and it will filter out. It'll filter down. Like it's going to get back to normal here with the, the scores. Okay. Like yeah. the detail will come back in. This was yeah. you know, the first day after holiday break. Like I said, that's the shit sandwich game. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> um, I think we could be on, on pace for some really, really good hockey. Yeah. I just am concerned about, man, Canada's just. Yeah. It's going to. Like long-term here, man, I don't know if Canada's ever going to get out of this. And, and I think that really makes people in the league nervous about the viability of those teams in a lot of ways. Like, yeah, I can't help but think that. Yeah. Uh, Minnesota, St. Louis, Winter Classic. Mm-hmm. going to well, be what? record cold. I, it's going to be <laughs> the coldest ever. I, I love it. I, I do too. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm pumped for it. Do you, have a, do you have a Winter Classic moment? Is there, a, you know, like a... Got one? Well, I just, I, the initial one, I'm thinking of Crosby scoring and shootout in the snow. Yeah. On Ryan Miller against the Buffalo Sabres. Like, I don't think there'll ever be a more iconic moment than that. I, I think of the follies over the years with the bad eyes and the, and the snowfall. And like, I think it's all part of like the charm of it. Yeah. You know, I, I think it's, it's such a cool marquee event. Yeah. No, and, you know, on a selfish scale, thinking about my home city, St. Louis hosting it. 
which was yeah. really cool. Bush Stadium, the arches in the background, and all the alumni show up. Yeah, that's the. It's yeah. just, it's man, it's bigger than the game, and these are the events that hockey need. It need they need these events. We need people to draw. Um, you know, even think about going down to Texas, like how there's a home run play. Like that was great. You talk about favorite moment. And this is just the black humor in me. I think is how about Corey Perry getting ejected five minutes in and having to walk about 4,000 yards away from the rink. And he gets kicked out. Oh, no, <laughs> I, it was, it was so Corey Perry too. I, I honestly, I like I felt so bad that Ryan Ellis was gone. I think he was over, six or seven weeks. And I don't even know yeah. if he's ever been totally like, it was that was bad terrible, hit. but you're right. That was the ultimate walk of shame. So. It just had me, la- it makes me laugh thinking about it. And it's, you know, I, I feel bad for Ryan Ellis now that I'm laughing at that, but it <laughs> just, he, I'm sure, yeah, he's over that, but yeah, no, yeah. it was, uh, all right. Uh, you mentioned earlier leaving a review on uh, Twitter or Yelp or whatever, but that's a great segue because we will, take a brief break as we do in each of the suitcase and the scribe podcast to recognize DoorDash, the proud sponsor of the nation network of podcasts, restaurants, and more delivered right to your door. All right, my friend, what do we got? What's, 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 uh, you know, we got some stuff coming up. I made notes. What -hmm. are you looking forward to? What do we got? Let's, you know, we got some things, all things being equal, we're going to see some more. We're, yeah. going, to, we're going to see hockey. Teams are going to get back to it. I, I prefer to view what we hope we'll see. What, what's, what's on your mind? What are you looking forward to seeing? Well, first, thanks to DoorDash for saving Christmas. They didn't save it, actually. We always have Chinese food on Christmas. Right. And, and I know that that is a tradition amongst some religions. It's, I, I am not of that, but it, it's yeah. our family does it every Christmas because it makes it easy and it's just Awesome. I love it. So DoorDash, you know, we put the order in at like three in the afternoon and eat Chinese all Christmas day. Things that I'm looking forward to in 2022, you know, I'm fascinated by this Calder trophy race in the NHL for rookie of the year. Yeah. Because I think Lucas Raymond and Trevor Zegras and Mo Sider, they all have a place at the table here. Yeah. And at the beginning of the year, we thought Cole Caulfield was going to run away with it. (laughs) Poor Cole's down, you know, six points or seven points, I think, for the Canadians. Um, But I I, I think Raymond and Zegris are their sexy picks. Yeah. You know, Zegris is obviously trending upward. He's made waves with his creativity and the goals that he scored and the assists that he's dished out. But to me, Raymond has been more consistent. Yeah. And Raymond's playing... He played minutes right off the start. He's a dynamic player alongside Larkin. He has more oomph because he has he's a little bit more scoring power right now, at least. I think Zegris is trending towards that. But the most impressive player to me is Mart Sider. Yeah. 20 years old in the National Hockey League, playing first power play unit, quarterbacking it, and logging 24, 23, 24 minutes a night for the Detroit Red Wings. Yeah. That's a lot to ask. And he's been really good. I mean, he's put it this way, he's, I think, 13th in D scoring league-wide yeah. as a rookie. And, you know, you compare that to Raymond and Zegras, who are down in the 20s, 30s, and forward score. Like, I don't know, man. Like, I think it's probably going to be one of the two forwards. But, Scotty, like, I, I really like Cider. 
I, I do. I'm wondering what, first, I'm wondering what you think of that. And then also, you know, what you're looking forward to most in 2022. Yeah. The, uh, I'm curious about, I'm curious to that whole Detroit team, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, I, they're better than people I, think, man. They, yeah, they're not they're, just hanging in there. They're actually pretty good. They're, they're going to play meaningful games right to, you know, to the trade deadline. And I, it's, they are fascinating. And, and obviously, you know, I, uh, you know, as a longtime voter on the awards, and certainly the Calder is one of the awards that the PHWA votes on. To me, there's always a little bit more latitude um, for a t- you know for a player on a team that isn't a contender or a playoff team because the, the young players often play on they have they get bigger roles on teams that aren't quite fully developed there yet. Mm-hmm. So it's you know it's different for me than when I think of the Norris or the Hart. If your team's not in the playoffs, I, that that's a factor for me when I go to vote. So yes, um, I, I'm curious because the, I think the Ducks are the real deal, and we've talked about them. And um, so, and Zegers is playing a huge role on that team, maybe accelerating their evolution. But man, if Detroit continues to hang around, and I I'm with you, it's so hard for young defensemen. Mm-hmm. And I remember when Aaron Ekblad won. I remember talking to GM saying, "You don't understand." at 19 or 20 years old to do the things that you were just talking about. And certainly what Ekblad was doing in Florida at that time, that's, that's a different, that's a different level of achievement. So I, I, if they're still in there, I think you're right. I, I think that's the problem is with two high end rookies from the same team. Do you split the votes? That's Mm -hmm. the, you know, that'll be an issue for it, but I'm, I'm pumped for it. And I'm pumped for, Remember when you know people were like sort of questioning quietly Steve Eiserman, you know the the pick at um, you know at Cider with was that the right pick? It was wasn't off the grid, but it was maybe he, he wasn't Canadian. That's why <laughs> Canadian or American, I guess. But yeah, uh, listen, that team worked out for Leon Drysaddle and the Oilers, didn't it? Ah, uh, yeah, no, yeah, good point there. So maybe we but, can uh, recognize yeah, no, Germany has some good hockey players. Oh yeah. So that's a, when, whether it's Olympics or world cup of hockey, I, I, that would be, you know, there's so much to lament about not having the Olympics, but like there are a lot, there's some, there's a good core of young German players. So um, yeah. So I'm, I'm pumped for that. I'm, I, I think it's a great debate and a great discussion. Um, what about what I'm, I'm thinking about, um, you know, like I think of a, a guy like Patrick Line. Mm-hmm who has missed so much time with, he had an oblique and then his father passed away and he was back in Finland. And really, you know, that team sort of, they hit a wall. <laughs> you know, we were pumping Brad Larson's tires early mm-hmm. on and they look, you know, they there were lots of really good things to, to like about Columbus and they really have hit a wall. And it looks like line A is getting ready to come back in the lineup. I saw a quote uh, from um, the uh, dispatch in Columbus saying that he, he felt he's been ready for some time now. <clears throat> but when he gets back in that lineup, you see that kind of dynamic. Can he regain that dynamic level of play to help push that team forward and back? They're only three or four points out of a wild mm-hmm. card, some games in hand. So, you know, I'm, I'm curious about that. And, of course, he's a restricted free agent. Yeah. What happens to him? What happens with, you know, Columbus? What happens there? Because, you know, the story in Columbus is – it's been hard to get guys to stay there. I don't yeah. know. Well, I think it's interesting from Line's perspective that he is looking for that start. And, you know, frankly, Merzlikens, he carried that team early. They work hard, though. 
Yeah. You know, yeah. and can Liney just find a place that works? It's a real question at this point. I'm yeah. curious about Columbus as well, because they've, they've ridden the wave a bit. I think they, for a while, they ran out of talent. Now they've, they're going to have to continue to power through it. But it's also interesting when you talk about players coming back. I mean, like we just, our own daily face off just sent a tweet out a little while ago about some of the players who are going to be back in lineup tonight. I mean, and I'm going to read this off. We've got Kuznetsov, Backstrom, Granlund, Johansson, Duchesne, Barkov, Panarin, Tuck, Heischer, Peron, Thomas, Cairo, Hyman, Gord. And that's not even including like Nugent Hopkins, and Tom Wilson, you know, like there is a lot of intrigue no matter who's playing hockey, because you don't know who's going to be in the lineup that night sometimes. So um, I think that's, that's all interesting stuff. I'm, I'm curious, Scott, if you maybe have, you know, one player you've already had one in Patrick line, or maybe a team that could surprise in the second half. I mean, you've targeted Columbus, but do you have maybe a team or player that you're thinking, you just have a hunch on that they're going to go on a bit of a run? Yeah, I, I maybe. I, and I was just reading about him today and uh, maybe because I'm soft and I've known Mike Smith a long time and wrote a piece about him just before the playoffs. And he's such a fascinating story. And his wife is She's so cool and Olympic athlete and great teammate. Marty Turco and yeah, no, great he's, teammate. He's a he's the he's a real good guy. And I'm not sure, you know, like the Oilers, and you know that you know that whole Oiler market is there's a lot, there's high angst in in, in Oiler Nation mm-hmm. um, because you know they started so strongly and now they've fallen back into that wild card spot and. You know, if they're not that far, if Winnipeg gets their act together, they're not, there's no guarantee they're going to the playoffs right now. And I think one of the, you know, one of the key areas that, you know, for Dave Tippett and for Kenny Holland, the GM, you know, how, are you going to be able to stabilize the goaltending position? And, mm-hmm. and, and Mike Smith looks like he's getting ready to come back. And you just know his level of competitiveness. Can he, can he be the guy that we've seen the last couple of years who for long stretches has just been terrific? Yeah. I don't know. What do you, well, what do you think? I mean, I, it, it always comes back to the goaltending for us as it should, but I, I, what do you think? I think Mike Smith is your hope. I just hope he stays healthy, man. Yeah. I am actually very confident where his game is now. I think that in his last two years, he's really gone to school um, with the goalie coach there in Edmonton Schwartz, they've, they've really done a good job of overhauling Smith's game and streamlining it, um, modernizing it effectively. Okay. Yeah. Like when we were together in Arizona in 2015, I guess, I remember, you know, Smitty coming over to me at one point watching me do post integrations. And, and he yeah. was kind of in a funk at that point. I remember like, you know, Sean Burke coming over and just pulling him away because he didn't want him to overload his mind and what was going on. Right. But, right. you know, I, I'd already learned how to do this RVH and swivels and all these post integrations because I was with Bobrovsky and Ian Clark in Columbus the year previously. Like I, had, yeah. I knew how to do this stuff and he hadn't yet. Well, man, like his game's clean now from that perspective. Uh, and, and I do think that Stuart Skinner's done a pretty good job. I, yeah. I, I would like to see how he progresses through the year, but I don't think he'll have that chance when Smitty comes back. So yeah. I think it throws more into the fire that there's just uncertainty. Yeah. Okay. You need a healthy Smitty. Uh, and, and if you don't there, I'm not sure what direction Ken Holland's going to go. If you rent somebody, I don't know. Um, kind of leads me to thinking about Johnny quick in LA. Like, yeah, like I, that's a team that man up until last night's game, I was thinking, I just had a hunch that LA was, 
was kind of poised to do something yeah. better. Um, <laughs> they looked like they were still roasted chestnuts and drinking Pinot Noir last night. That was, was not a, he did her, not have a lot of help last night. Horrendous D zone coverage. <laughs> um, and, and I just, I felt like, I feel like quick has done such a good job this year and could somehow will that team and they're getting healthier, but I'm not sure the player that I really kind of have my eye on is Ryan O'Reilly in St. Louis. Yeah. Um, I mean, he has not had a bad year by any stretch. He's had an okay year, but it goes along with St. Louis in general. That's a team that's been ravaged by injuries and COVID. Um, you know, he hasn't had Perron alongside of him much power play, like lines have been all mixed up. I think Ryan O'Reilly is somebody that could really break out in the second half. Like we could be talking about a guy who's putting up 13, 14 points in a short span, you know, kind of like, you know, Blake Wheeler's done in Winnipeg. Like he's been on a tear lately and he started really slow. So um, I've got O'Reilly pegged for a big second half. Um, I'm very curious to see if Nazem Kadri can keep this going. Cause this guy's fourth in the league in scoring and nobody wants to believe he's like as good as he is. And yeah. how can you deny the point totals? The fact that he's yeah. last seven games, I think he's like 14 points or something insane like that. So mm-hmm. I, I think there's a lot to look forward to, but it's yeah. it's going to come down to lineups and health, Scotty, and, and we can't predict that, man. We just can't. So yeah, it's I'm, I'm looking for here's a, yeah, and I haven't uh, I had a piece on Nashville this week, so I got a chance to talk to John Hines, and so is my friend Pierre LeBrun often accuses me of having a little Stockholm syndrome, but, and I'll have a piece next week. I was ch- chatting with. Gerard Gallant and that Ranger team is the team that I'm, you know, like I, I, I figured they'd be in the mix, but boy, like they, they were one of the top teams in, you know, certain points percentage. There's so much to like about them and uh, Shesterkin and uh, you know, he can, if he can get back and if he can stay healthy, I thought even Gorgiev, you know, in Shesterkin's absence, I think sort of proves some things. It's been a rough go for him, mm-hmm. uh, but I thought he proved some stuff. But I, I, I'm just so I'm so impressed with Gerard Gallant. And I was talking to Joe Micheletti for this piece, and 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 Joe and he pointed something out that I hadn't really thought of. That you know, Gerard's not a TV media guy, right? Like he doesn't he doesn't that's not his thing talking the game. And you and I talked in the past about people, you know, guys like Paul Maurice, and John Cooper and mm-hmm. Ken Hitchcock when he was coaching and Barry Trotz. I mean, guys that just you gravitate to because they, their ability and willingness to share the game and to speak the game really leads to a strong connection, right? I mean, mm-hmm. you, you're, it's, you know, you want to write a story or tell a story. If someone is able to communicate it in a way that, gives it life and flavor the the jargon that's not his thing no that he and i my i took from joe micheletti's like basically i don't think he cares about that part of it but in that room with those kids and you know some nights lafreniere's what eight or nine minutes or capococos you know fourth line in single digit numbers in terms of ice time but he has sold that team on it's it's okay because we're winning and mm-hmm. on the nights where you're going, you will play. Yeah. And on the nights that maybe you're not having it, you're not going to play, but you're not, I'm not benching you. I'm not punishing you, but this is the greater good of the team. And, and I, it's hard, I think with a young team to, to get everyone to, 
to pull on the same rope because, you know, for young guys, it's sometimes it's about them. I, mm-hmm. I don't know. I, I don't know what you think of that. Yeah. Well, first off, I want to just touch on Joe Micheletti and how much I appreciate him. You know, I grew yeah. up in St. Louis when he cut he his teeth. To in say hello. I, here I'm diverting into, you know, casual <laughs> personal chat. I, mean, I, yeah. he, I was telling him that you and I do this podcast. He's like, yeah. he's such a good man. So say hello to Mike. So he, there you go. he was pumping yeah. tires. You know, I, I actually skate with his son on Wednesdays occasionally, who lives in yep. St. Louis still. But this is where Joe cut his teeth in media after his playing careers with the St. Louis Blues. So I grew up, you know, watching him. And when we reconnected a few years ago when I was still playing and we came through New York and just, man, had a couple of great conversations with him. And as I was learning and doing TV, he was super, super helpful. And I'll tell you what, and I'm, I'm going to, I promise you, I'm going to get to the Rangers after I bloviate about Joe here, but you know, there's something I learned about doing color commentary because I haven't done a lot of it, but I, I did enough to get a feel for it in that Joe is so good at letting the moment breathe. Yeah. And he'll spread his words out and, and he'll, every, every word has emphasis to it and it builds the drama of the moment. And for an ex player, that's something that's really difficult to do. Cause we just want to go, we want to tell you exactly what happened immediately right away. Um, and I just, I learned a lot from Joe, you know, when I really paid attention to what he does on the microphone and I got a lot of time for him I, and I'm very thankful for, you know, him helping me, frankly, yeah. uh, early I'm on. I'm not surprised that. Yeah. yeah he was awesome. He was so guy. Going back to the Rangers, everything you said about Gerard Gallant, bang on, man. Like I, I briefly played for him in Florida. I went to two training camps with them there. Uh, I practiced enough in Vegas that I had pretty good interaction, obviously working for the team while he was coaching as well. Yeah. And you're right, man. Like he'll stand up on the stage and just be like, yeah, yeah other team's a real good team. We're a real good team. We played good hockey. That's it. Like that's his press conference. Yes. And, and I think that, you know, you can kind of from the outside looking in think like, is this guy even like, care is he deeper like uh yeah oh big time because if you've been in the room and understand how drug Lant works that room yeah he has the utmost respect to everybody and guys like to play for him, man like i i have friends on the rangers that just say like man great man great coach like to to, to in person that's what you always get yep and the crazy part is this guy's get been fired in the most unceremonious ways twice in his career <laughs> yeah, so you know like <laughs> A guy who the last guy to deserve the way he was canned, <laughs> but uh, I, I do. I, I, I picked the Rangers to finish second in that, in that division. They were kind of my flyer team that I thought, okay, I'm, I'm going to take a, a, a hunch here. And a lot of it was because of Gerard. And I think he's got that mentality with that team. They're, they're hard to play against. I mean, they're, you got to watch out for Revo. You got to watch out for Truba. Like they're pretty well, pretty well-rounded Scott. Yes. So I, I like, do, do you think I, I was thinking about this too? And, you know, maybe, you know, the, you know, what happens in Florida, what happens in Vegas. And I, you know, I'm a huge Pete DeBoer fan. I've known Pete <laughs> a long time, very different kind of personality person. But I wonder if, if part of what has happened is that because he's not, he's not John Cooper or Paul Maurice or Barry Trotz that, do people maybe misunderstand? Like you would think that ownership think so. and management would understand, but I just wonder if it's part of that, that he cares not a whit mm-hmm. for how he is perceived outside that room. And I wonder if that's, I wonder if it's cost him. I'm sure he doesn't care. Well, He's, I, I, I'm sure he doesn't, but I do think perception is reality, which is always unfair. Yeah. You know, and I think like when you listen to a press conference and it comes across as very simple, 
you can be labeled as a simple person, which does not mean that you are unable to think the game or communicate with your players or do system work. Like, but if you're not in the room, you don't know. And it's the same syndrome that fans fall into when a captain isn't very eloquent in front of a microphone, the Jamie Ben syndrome, where he just doesn't care about the media. He cares about his teammates. Yep. You could care less what the media or the, or what that perception is, but everybody in that room knows who the leader is. Yeah. Right. And that's good point. Perception can be reality. Um, It's unfair, but that's how the world works. Um, But you know what, Scott, like we got a lot to look forward to here, man. And and I just, I want to, I wanted selfishly bring this up for you. I got a story to share here real quick. Okay. Okay. And and I'll let you from that point, I'll let you, maybe you've got a nice story you can share with us for some optimism and some, uh, (laughs) some hope in 2022 and things that we enjoy. But I'm wearing this hat today on purpose, and it is the St. Louis Blues Warrior Hockey hat. And oh, nice. I wear it every Tuesday morning when I coach that group. I go, I coach the goalies. And yesterday morning, goalie named Chuck. Okay, so Chuck was pretty much a beginner goalie last summer. And, you know, Chuck's probably 40-something, you know? Like, it's not easy to be a goalie when you're starting later in life. <laughs> and he couldn't really do a lot last summer, to put it in nicely. Yeah. And we get on the ice yesterday and everything that we've worked on came together and he, we, we scrimmaged. And so Rob Ramage is actually the head coach of the St. Louis blues warriors. He doesn't want any credit whatsoever for this. He, he will defer all credit. He won't, you know, media is not his thing in any way, but Rammer has been so, so good for these, for these men and women that served our military. And we go out there, they're scrimmaging, they're trying to juxt- they're trying to figure out the the team order because there's four teams. I mean, it's basically tryouts. Right. Chuck stole the show. Nice. I mean, I mean, just like breakaway saves, combo saves, moving to the middle, nice and square, using the Y theory. He everything that we talked about uh, was working. And he came off the ice and we just smiled at each other because we'd accomplished something together. And I, I just, I, I felt first so good about myself, but more so because of him. I was proud of him, but he should, he was prouder of himself. And that's the way it should be because he's processed everything, made it work. And I talked to him afterwards and he said, that's the most fun I've ever had oh my like God. on the ice. And, and I just, Scotty, man, it made me, it made me feel so good. And it wasn't about me in any way. It just, it's it shows you what this what the game can do and how much enjoyment you can have when it's pure because there's nothing more pure than warrior hockey. I mean they're they're out there for the brotherhood of it. They're out there to to have a locker room and have friends. Yeah, but man, it feels good to make saves, Scott. <laughs> I, honestly, I, like to me, that's it was that's awesome, perfect. That, and you know what? I mean, man, it's you know I'm I'll get this out again. You know, this is, <laughs> it's, this it's hard. It's hard to, it's hard to, to stay positive and it's hard to find positives in, in everything, you know, in, in some ways. And so to me, that's perfect. That's a perfect moment. And I'm glad you were there and had a role in it. And I'm glad you were able to share it because man, that's, it's we pure. need more of those. It's we need pure. more of those moments. So yeah, it's pure. It's perfect. That's a perfect way to end our final suitcase and the scribe episode of 2021. And when 
we chat next next week 2022 i'm i'm pumped for it i can't wait for it part of it is at knock on wood you and i will convene in vegas at all-star oh my gosh frank frank setting us loose i when I think about that, I'm sure we'll talk about many times between now and All-Star. hope it happens. I think only of my favorite Ilya Brizgalov quote after the semifinal game at the 2010 Olympics in Vancouver. I don't even think he played, actually, in Canada crushed them. I think it was 7-3, and Brizgalov said, quote, after the semifinal game at the 2010 Olympics, in Vancouver. I don't even think he played actually. And Canada crushed them. I think it was 7 3. And Briskolov said, they came like gorillas from the cage. All right. That was outstanding, as always. So, yeah. so great. Let's, uh, let's do it again next week. I, 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 I penciled it in for uh, next Wednesday. So, the next episode of The Suitcase and the Scribe. But uh, fine work by you, as always. Scott, always a pleasure. I can't wait to uh, fire up the DoorDash, get that going for next week and tell you all about it. Oh, I can't wait. Thanks for listening to The Suitcase and The Scribe, a member of the Nation Network of Podcasts and delivered by DoorDash. Make sure you hit the subscribe button to never miss an episode.